Porch, how we doing? So great to be with you guys tonight. If you are with us from the Church Leaders Conference, we want to welcome you to the porch. And uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, awesome. Hi, Mom. And uh, so excited. Hey, we are in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you just for this eternal truth that you penned through your servant by the power of your Holy Spirit um, nearly 2,000 years ago, that we would read it this evening and be inspired and have a greater understanding of what you desire for our lives. Help us to apply it to our lives and to, uh, as we examine it, like James says, that we would make changes to our lives, the things that are inconsistent with your scriptures in our lives, that they would be conformed more to your will, more to the image and the character of your son, Jesus. So thank you for this privilege. In Christ's name, amen. I'll start with this question. What is on your bucket list? What are the things on your bucket list? This term bucket list, it comes from, you know, the things that you want to accomplish before you kick the bucket. That is, before you die, before you pass on to the next life. What are the things that you hope to accomplish in this life before then? And so I just kind of uh, pulled the audience through social media. If we're friends on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, I've asked this question. And the way that I asked it, I said, hey, if you had found out you had 30 days to live, what are the things that you'd want to do in the next 30 days? And so I got a lot of different answers, but there were things like hike the Appalachian Trail or um, you know, there were some that were spiritual. Some folks said, hey, well, I would share the gospel with everyone I can, and, and I appreciate that. But a lot of them were just like things you want to accomplish, like summit Mount Rainier, uh, get married, um, write a book, lease a Lamborghini, scuba dive the Great Barrier Reef, run with the bulls in Spain, go to Harry Potter World, single for life. Get a tattoo, uh, meet with the president, go base jumping, and go skydiving. Skydiving was on mine. Uh, that was one of the things that I wanted to do. And, and I had uh, my closest friend, he knew this. And so for my birthday, he gives me this gift certificate to go skydiving. And so we call. I'm, I'm excited. We're making plans to go and do this together. And we call. And I'm on the phone with this lady. And, um, and we're scheduling it. And she's kind of walking through some things that I need to know. And she said, I just need to, um, you know, make sure you know we have a 240-pound weight limit. And I said, oh, well, that, that's problematic. I'm 250 pounds. And uh, she said, oh, okay, well, man, you know, um, there, there might be something we could do to make something work. And I was like, um, when I'm jumping out of airplanes, I'm not trying to make something work, okay? Uh, no, thank you. And so um, 
Needless to say, that's not on my bucket list anymore. A diet is. Um, No, it's not. It's not on my bucket list anymore because here's what happened a few years ago, really through that experience. I began to realize that everything on my bucket list was about me. That all the things that I had hoped to accomplish before I died were were selfish um, experiences and momentary pleasures that I would experience in this world that it's not like, it's like I didn't believe that I was going to live in some redeemed version of this world, that, that God wasn't going to ultimately bring heaven here and that I would exist here forever. I don't need to see Thailand today. I'll see one day a glorified, redeemed version of Thailand. That I'm his. And this bucket list idea, it, it's really a pagan idea. It's, a, it's the idea of someone who does not believe that they're going to live forever with Christ. And so realizing this, it allows us to focus on what is a real bucket list. Peter's going to tell us this evening that the end of all things is near and the only thing that lasts forever is God, his word, and the souls of people. And so we need to prioritize that which is most important to God. Peter is going to tell us, here's what really matters. You're running out of time. You might have a next day, but one day, sooner than you could ever imagine, you're going to have a last day. And the only thing that's promised to you, the only thing you truly possess is now. That's the only thing you really have now. Tomorrow or two minutes from now is not promised to us. One of the persons that responded to my social media question said, I'd give everything away. And that's most in line with what Peter's going to show us this evening. And so we're talking about what it means to live like time is running out. Uh, Really, that is the bucket list that Christians should have. Peter's going to present it to us here in chapter four. And so my points as I move through these verses are pray, love, give. Pray, love, give. I know that sounds like a Julia Roberts movie, um, but it's not because eat, pray, love, if you've seen it, it's this really self-actualization, self-fulfilling, selfish-seeking movie. Hey, I want to go and find myself. We don't need to find ourselves. God already found us. He has plans for us, and we don't use our time on earth to fulfill Momentary pleasures for us, we use it to seek out his will and, and do it. And so, 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Now, if you read that right off the bat, Peter may lose credibility with you because you're like, man, he wrote this you know, 1,900 years ago. Like, what do you mean the end of all things is near? It's thou- over 1,000 years later. Like, how? And so it's like um, two days ago, I was getting a haircut. My wife dropped me off with some of the kids and um, they, were, they were waiting, and I, I finished getting the haircut, and then we were sitting there, and they were kind of looking out in the parking lot as she was going to come back and pick us up. And they said, Daddy, we should go uh, over there to Trader Joe's. Let's go to Trader Joe's and, and get a snack. And I said, I can't. Uh, we can't do that. M- Mommy will come back any minute, and we need to be here. And as 10 minutes go by, they, re- they, re- they showed me that we could have went to Trader Joe's. Basically saying, you're wrong when you said mommy could come back at any minute. But the truth is, I wasn't. I wasn't wrong. She could come back at any minute. And when she came back, I needed to be there. So she would pick us up and give us a ride home. And 
When she came back two minutes later, we saw that. And so right now, the sky could crack open, clouds roll back like a scroll. There's Christ on a white horse coming for his church. It could happen right now, tonight, tomorrow, while you sleep, any moment, Peter's saying. And so he tells us then, therefore, be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. And so the summary is the end is near. Jesus is coming back at any moment. So pray with a sober mind. It's, it's the word a sane mind, the opposite of insanity. Pray in your right mind. Have you ever seen, like if you've been in Times Square or maybe even downtown, those people with the sandwich boards uh, that say the, the end is near. The end is near. And you walk by those people and you're like, crazy. Peter's saying, ah, what if? They're the most sane people out there. At least their perspective is correct. Like you may not have lived your moments today like the end is near. And, and he's admonishing us through God's word that that is how we are actually to live. Time is running out. And so with a sane mind and sobriety, Pray, my first point, pray with perspective. Pray with the right perspective. Praying for the right things comes from praying with this right perspective that the end is near. When someone finds out, I've learned this in vocational ministry, when someone finds out they are dying, they only have a, a short time on earth to live, they, they sober up. It's all of a sudden priorities start to just kind of fall in place and, and the, the worldly desires that we chase, those kind of fade and it's like, okay, who do I need to show that I love and what do I need to do? And when I talk to God, it's just like it's he and I. It's, it's tremendous sobriety. And so it's realizing, we're realizing that time is running out, that we're on this clock that's ticking down. And that any minute, not just like this hourglass, that any minute we could realize that Jesus is coming back as, as lives. Like this is more like the earth and, and it's like the, the granules of sand in there. Those are human lives passing from one life to the next, from the life to, to the next that started at the beginning of the beginning. And that's the motion that, that God that's the clock that God put into motion and we're existing in that and one day it's gonna be done. It's gonna run out. And so this perspective affects two things in praying. I give them to you, frequency and content. Frequency is just this idea that when we're in trouble, we pray more. When we realize that time is running out, we pray more. We, have, we pray with greater frequency. Some might call these game day prayers, Right? Like you're facing, you want a promotion. Lord, please give me a promotion. You're in trouble at work. You got written up. Lord, please help me to survive this. God, I pray she's not pregnant. God, I pray I'm not pregnant, right? These are these game day emergency prayers. You just got a diagnosis that you don't like, right? And so you start to pray. It's when you go and, and you pray more. You're on the airplane, and you hit rough air, the pilot calls it. We know it as turbulence. It's like, oh, whoa. Hey, hey, God, it's me again. Hadn't talked to you since last time I was on a plane, but uh, would you please safely carry us to the ground? And you're praying with great focus, with great sobriety. The other thing that changes with this understanding is content, the contents of our prayers. 
the new believer prays for one thing. The new convert prays for one thing, whatever they want. That's okay, that's you. That's all right. Um, as long as you're asking God, God, show me what you want. I'm gonna pray for what I want. I'm asking what you want. You know, it's just honest. God wants a relationship with you. And so as you pray for you what you want, you're, you're building a relationship with him. But as you mature, your prayers turn outward. You begin to see that there's others around you. There's this world that God has you existing in. And there's things that he wants to accomplish through you in this world. And so what's the difference between worrying and praying? What's the difference between worrying and praying, being given to worry and given to prayer? The difference is one is a productive conversation and the other is a faithless waste of time. Worrying is a faithless waste of time while praying is a productive conversation with God. The only difference between worrying and praying is one has another person there listening. It's, it's an act of faith. And, and here's the gift that I have for you worriers is it's so easy to turn your worries to prayers. Like you can sit there in this unproductive, faithless waste of time and you can worry, 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 or you can say, God, now I'm not worrying, but I'm talking to you. One is I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be single forever and ever and ever and ever. And the other is, God, please help me to get married. One is I, want, I really want the job. I'm never gonna have a job. And how am I gonna pay with a rent? And oh my goodness, what am I, what's gonna happen? The other is, God, can you handle that? And they look very similar, one's worrying, one's praying. You have the power uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ with his Holy Spirit to turn worries into prayers. And so this clock, it's winding down and we must pray these prayers like we're at war. That's Peter's writing this at wartime. Christians are being persecuted. I've heard it said with this illustration that, that often our prayers are like we're calling for room service, you know. We're, we're dialing up God according to our preferences, whatever we feel like, and we call in and say, hey, you know, would you, would you please send me this? Would you move me here? Would you come and fluff my pillow? And I'd like chocolate cake and whatever we want, you know, would you, would you do this like room service? And in reality, prayer is much more like a walkie-talkie with our commander-in-chief as we're moving into battle. God, I'm moving towards this Starbucks, what do you have for me to do? Who's in here? What divine appointments do you have for me to move into? Whose lives do you want me to change? God, I'm, I'm moving, walking through my apartment complex and I see my neighbor. How would you like me to engage them? Where am I going? What am I doing? What do you have for me today? God, as I move into work and I'm walking past this cube, who would you like me to engage? What do you want me to do? What conversations do you want me to have? That's wartime prayers. That's, that's prayers with a sober mind. These are the prayers of a sane person. Verse eight. Above all, he says, love each other deeply. It's the Greek ektenos. Love each other deeply. That word deeply, it's, it's the word that we use is stretched out like an athlete. Uh, like an athlete crossing the finish line, stretches out to cross that finish line or, or stretches muscles in a way that are, are uncomfortably productive that you would stretch out yourself and love others in a way that, that is more than you're comfortable doing naturally. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. It is not, it's not saying that it is blind to faults, but it sees faults and accepts the faults of others. It's not in ignoring those faults, which is unloving, 
It's saying, that's not right, but I still love you. Not, because I love you, I'll call that right. There's a difference. It's not saying, hey, because I love you and love covers over a multitude of sins, I won't acknowledge that that's sin. It's saying, because I love you, I'm going to acknowledge your sin and love you in spite of your sin. I'm going to take you in as a sinner. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling, we show hospitality. If you want to practice this, get a truck. (laughs) Because people will call you and they will offer you a six pack and pizza to help you move, ask you to help them move. Um, And you will have lots of opportunities to serve without grumbling, that we invite people, and keep in mind when Peter wrote this, that that Christians were being persecuted in such a way that they needed to rely on the love of each other for survival. Like they would have to hide in each other's houses and places and take strangers in and feed them so that they wouldn't be killed or persecuted. And and this is the, the world that we live in now, this, this kind of love is dying, that we would show this kind of love to one another. And so my second point is we're to love without limits. Peter is telling us there should be no limits to your love. And this happened in the first and second century. In fact, Tertullian wrote this in the second century. In his defense of Christians, he's talking about how pagans had taken notice to the way Christians love each other. He wrote, what marks us in the eyes of our enemies, in the eyes of our enemies, is our loving kindness. Only look, they say, how they love one another. And the love in this text, it's the word agapeo. It's it's the verb form of the noun most of you have heard of, agape, agape love. It is a a self-sacrificing, it's a word, the closest English word we have for it is charity. It's giving and expecting nothing in return. It's that kind of love that you would extend love to someone and expect them to do nothing for you in return, agape. And so maybe you've heard of that word agape before, but I'd love to teach you something about that word. Did you know that that word did not exist until someone had to describe the love that God followers had for each other? Okay, 800 years before Christ shows up on the scene, Homer, we, we see him introduce the word agapeo, and that's this love that a mother would have for her child. It's a, it's a sacrificing, hey, I'll do anything for you kind of love. I'll compromise my comforts for you kind of love. Uh, take my life for your life kind of love. And then when these Christians, about 100 years around when Jesus is showing up on the scene, God followers, they have to describe them. And they don't have a word. They're like, the way that they love each other, we don't have a word for that. There's no word for the way that these people who claim to know the creator of the universe, we can't describe the love that they have for each other. And in the, in the Greek Bible, we see the word agape show up. They invented a word. A word was invented to describe how Christians love each other. It's like, what are we doing? We don't, we don't know what that's called. See, the marketing plan for Christianity, it's, it's really simple. It's It's people showing extreme, out-of-this-world kindness to others as they carry forth the gospel. And this is the breakdown of Christianity. It's the misunderstanding of this. It's the neglecting of this command. Like, you can just think about it in the context of how we date. 
that we take this idea of love and we make it this extreme emotional thing and we say, I love you. And what we really mean is the most selfish, fulfilling thing that I can do is express these feelings of emotion towards you and take from you everything I can that validates myself. There's nothing selfless about that. Because, because what would this self-sacrificing love do, it would be like, hey, I love you, and so I'm not going to do what I feel like doing towards you, rather, I'm going to discipline myself in an act of, of dying to my flesh for the sake of verb, loving, serving, caring for, helping you, without complaining, without grumbling. I remember when when Monica and I got married, um, she had inherited a, um, through a breakup with an ex-boyfriend, she had gotten a Rottweiler in the split, okay? So they had purchased a dog together and uh, they broke up and she got the dog and then uh, we dated and ultimately got married and her parents got the dog and... Uh, and we eventually bought a house, a beautiful home. I was really excited about it. I wasn't in ministry at the time. And, and, um, and we kind of bought this house that was our dream house at the time. And it had these gorgeous hardwood floors that I loved. And, and Lexus is the Rottweiler's name. And her, Monica's parents would come and stay with us. And um, year two of marriage was a rough one. And her parents would come and stay with us. And they would bring Lexus. And Lexus didn't like to be outside. So Lexus would sleep inside. And Lexus didn't like to get her toenails cut. And so Lexus had these, you know, gnarly long toenails. And, uh, and um, she would run all over my hardwood floors. And she'd try to stop around the corners. And she'd just slide into the refrigerator. And I would just like, oh, like cringe at the sound of her claws digging into my brand new hand scraped hardwood floors and and uh, one day we had just gotten into it her and I which was very common for the second year of marriage we've been married uh, 12 years over a decade since then by God's grace and and uh, and on this particular day we were just into it I'm like your parents I mean they they just this is not fair I felt so justified in my frustration with this dog and and um, I left the house and I called this guy that was discipling me I was a brand new Christian and uh, this guy was pouring into my life, and I'm telling him, you full vent to my anger towards her, her parents and this dog that's the ex-boyfriend's dog who doesn't like his toenails cut and eats Cheerios and milk for breakfast, which is a whole other story. And, and, uh, and I'm just saying how he's scratching up all my hardwoods, and, and, the, and he just says, do you love your in-laws? Now, remember, I'm walking through Home Depot just just full vent to the anger, you know, didn't have nowhere, anywhere else to go, Home Depot. <laughs> and uh, says, do you love your in-laws? But what do you mean? Like, of course. Yes, I love my in-laws. He said, okay, because it sounds like you love your hardwoods more. I'm like, shut up, you know, like what? <laughs> Why would you say such a terrible thing? And, and he, he's just saying, he's saying this verse, love covers a multitude of sins of wrongdoings, it overlooks offenses, not in an enabling kind of way, but a, I'm gonna love you in spite of kind of way. I, I think probably the greatest journey that you could start on tonight outside of following Jesus uh, or becoming a follower of Jesus 
would be loving people in the name of Jesus. It's the greatest adventure available to us on the planet Earth. It's really fun. Like Monica and I, we have a blast just listening to the needs of others and secretly meeting those needs. It's, it's, a, it's a blast. I mean, just hearing folks, like listening, like, like leaning into comment. What did you say they needed? Oh, they went, but they can't afford what? Okay, that's, that's interesting. We'll pray for them. <laughs> you know, it's like we're Batman. I mean, that's what it feels like. You know, we're vigilantes taking things in our own hands, anonymously meeting the needs of others. This is what Christians do. It's what we can do. You can start doing that tonight, just listening to the needs of others and moving in and loving them in spite of their wrongs or, or how irresponsible they've been. You can just care for them and love them and show Christ's grace to them because the greatest uh, example of this kind of love that we have is the gospel. It is that Christ covers, literally atones for, covers our sins, loves us in spite of our sins. First uh, John 4.10 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, Jesus Christ, as an atoning or covering sacrifice for our sins. First John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so this this text, it's saying that we're to do this without grumbling and complaining, to be sensitive to the needs of others, to use the gift of hospitality. Some of you have that gift, that you would use it without grumbling and serve the body. My friend Katie, who served at the porch here, uh, she literally purchased a house. And she's this amazing cook. Like she loved to cook and bake and, and she would throw these huge epic parties and she'd invite homeless people in and porch volunteers in and, and uh, friends from the neighborhood in and strangers from the neighborhood in and, she, and her house would just be full of people that she would feed and care and love and share the gospel with. I, I, it's such an incredible use of the gift of hospitality that the kingdom would move forward on that, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I've got three children, and um, Presley 10, Finley 8, Weston 4, and, and my 10 and 8-year-old, I talk to them all the time. I'm like, hey, your gifts, in, in their language, they're believers, they've, they've trusted in Christ. And, and so I talk to them, hey, your, your gifts, they're like superpowers, and, and they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, man, you can talk to somebody today. You can encourage them. You can serve them in a way that will literally change their life, change their day, change their countenance, soften their heart. It will remove hate and replace it with love. Like you can change a human being by the way you use these gifts. That's so much more valuable than being able to fly or see through things that you can talk to someone partnered with God and change their eternal destination. They will pass from going to hell to going to heaven through you, God working through you, using your gifts. They're like superpowers. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Saint, we're steward of God's gifts. He breaks them down into two categories. Speaking and serving, words and actions. These, these are the ways that we can express gifts through words and actions. 
And he's saying this word here, it's the word steward. It's like um, someone who is responsible, responsible for like taking care of a house. The, the house and the possessions in the house aren't theirs, but they take care of them as though they were theirs. They steward them. Um, it's, it's like this. It's like FedEx at Christmas. Okay? You send gifts through FedEx at Christmas. They steward those gifts. They take them to where they belong. You would be outraged if they sat there and they just started collecting them and open them in. You know, the person driving the FedEx truck just kind of is like, look at all my gifts, you know, and starts tearing into them like they're his gifts. You'd be like, no, those aren't your gifts. I gave you those to steward. So did God. He gave you gifts to steward. They weren't for you to try to make as much money as you could possibly have and pursue as much pleasure as you could possibly get and, and buy as many things as you can collect. That's not why he gave you those gifts. You're a steward of those gifts. And so glorify, my third point, glorify God with your gifts. It says in verse 10, you are a steward of God's grace in its various forms, both speaking and serving, talking about speaking, words of encouragement. It says it's like being the literal mouthpiece of God. That, that, um, that when Christ wants to encourage someone with words, he often uses Christ's followers, his followers, to speak encouraging words to others. There's power in this that you may not even been aware of, like, Oh, I think of my grandmother. Um, when I was growing up, she would look at me with the most sincerity and say, how's my mighty man of God? And she's sweet, you know, when you're four and six. And she just would always see me. We'd go to her house on Sundays. She'd say, how's my mighty man of God? And um, I can't, like, those words, like, they, they like, put me on a trajectory that was really powerful. I'm not trying to get weird on you or anything, but it just seemed like, like that, that they were shifting me. And, and so when I'm 16 and I start getting high, you know, start smoking weed, and, and then I start partying, and then I start um, entering into relationships and doing things that I know I shouldn't be doing. And, and we go to her house and I see her, and she'd say, how's my mighty man of God? How's my mighty man of God? Like, like it's fine when I'm six, but when I'm 16 and or 18, and I, I know I'm not walking with the Lord and she's just sitting there speaking this over me. How's my mighty man of God? And it's like, it's like it, it was, that was the beginning of a calling into ministry. I know that's weird, but it's like that's what God was doing through my frail grandmother. Using those words, how's my mighty man of God? That's a gift of encouragement. You know people that you love to be around because of how encouraging they are. Encouragers, you encouragers, you have this power to change someone's day or their outlook or even their life. And he says, if you serve, do so as a representative of God's army, understanding that it's, it's by his grace that you serve, right? I, I think of my, my friend Morgan, who, who is, uh, uh, serves as an assistant, administrative assistant to the young adult team. Like she's always so positive. And whenever you encourage her, she's always like, oh, it's by God's grace. You know? And it's not this platitude or this, this cliche saying, like she believes it. And, and it's just like Morgan's an amazing PR person for God. She makes him look really really good because she's constantly talking about the good things that he's doing through her. She is soberly aware 
that it is God doing those good things. If you were here for the church leaders conference, you heard Todd today talk about a time when when he had the opportunity, he he was just mopping a floor. And he had the opportunity to do that for an audience of just God, or he could have lifted the shutters so that, that uh, you know, hundreds of people as they passed by would see him mopping the floors. And he talked about how we do things for the glory of God, not for the praise of humans, not for the glory of self or the glory of man, that everything we do, we do for the glory of God, not needing something from people, but serving folks. As I was talking with my kids, this week, one of them was angry and sad, and I asked them, I knew I'd, I had been in this verse, and I just asked them, hey, let me ask you a question. Like, they were really frustrated, and just, I, I was having a hard time. Do you ever just sad? You don't know why you're sad? That's a little bit what we were dealing with. Like, they're like, I'm just sad, Dad. I'm like, why are you sad? I don't know why. I don't know why I'm sad. And uh, that's tough. That's hard to parent, I'll be honest. Um, I said, well, let me ask you a question. How are you doing at serving? And she said, well, I don't, I'm not what you mean. I'm like, how are you doing at using your powers? How are you doing at loving people, encouraging people, and serving them? I don't know. And, and I said, let me tell you about one of my favorite things when I was in Israel. When I was in Israel, there's the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. It's full of life. It's, it's filled with fish, and it's surrounded by greenery and flowers and all of these beautiful things to see. And, and, uh, and so I love it. You can see why Jesus did so much ministry in the Sea of Galilee. And it was this, this thoroughfare from one city to the next, to the next, to the next. And the Sea of Galilee, out of the Sea of Galilee, flows the River Jordan, and the River Jordan flows down to what's called the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea couldn't be more different than the Sea of Galilee. There's nothing that grows around it. There's nothing that lives in it. There's no fish in it. It's completely dead. Why? Because there's a river flowing into it and nothing flowing out of it. The sun evaporates the water. It leaves behind the minerals and nothing can grow in the Dead Sea because it receives what it does not give. And likewise, literally, you are dying, becoming, and I'm saying this not for shock value because I believe it's true, becoming mentally ill if you just receive and never give out. You will become, you will become dead from the inside. Every person that I've talked to that, that struggles with their thoughts and anxieties and, and, and obsessive, compulsive things, they receive, it starts with being fixated on self and you just consume and never give out and you were not made to do that. You're a conduit. You're a conduit. You're a conduit of God's grace. That's what the scripture says, that you're giving and extending God's grace to others in the way that you serve them through your words and through your actions. And so next time you're sad or angry or frustrated or or focused on yourself, are you building up walls of worry? Are you turning thoughts into prayers as though you're running out of time in the last days? What I'm trying to tell you is your bucket list is not about how many things you can experience or places you can go it's, it's not like, hey, what do I need to do? What parts of the world do I need to see? It's how 
can I pray with, with a great sane mind, with sobriety, and how can I love in a way that's stretched out uncomfortably, giving my life away, and how can I serve, sharing the gifts that God has entrusted to me with others in the way that I speak words of encouragement over them, and the way that I serve them and help them and, and am hospitable to them, expecting nothing in return, because while you might think you have the day, one day, much sooner than you think, you are going to have your last day. You are going to be out of time. Done. Nothing else. Nothing else you can give. And I don't know if it's because Jesus comes back or you just don't breathe. But what are you gonna do with your life? Make a million dollars before you're 30? Some of you, it's too late. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't know. I don't know if the plans in your life have gone the way you thought they would. I don't know. What are you gonna do with your life? Do you, believe, do you really believe there's a God? Do you really believe there's a God? Do you really believe there's a God? Do you really believe there's a creator that heavens to earth and he has plans for you? He's numbered your days. He knows how long you live, when you die. When he knows, he's the only one that knows when Christ comes back. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that your salvation cost him, his son, on a cross? And he goes into the grave and he defeats death and raises back, giving you hope and a promise for eternal life. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you live like you believe that? How are you doing at this bucket list of Christianity? When you came in, you got a porch news. Would you grab that for me? The porch news, that you, the little thing they handed you when you came in? Did you grab that for me? It's where you all move and you grab it. Some of you are like, what did he say? It's got a list on the back. What I'd love for you to do I'd love 100% unanimous participation in this. It's a really simple ask. Would you just take time to fill that out? Things that you want to do before now and Christ takes you home. You may think in terms of categories of praying with a sober mind, loving bigger than you're comfortable, and sharing the gifts that God has entrusted to you with others. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen, it says. Amen is a word you use probably all the time, but you may not know what it means. It means so be it. Peter's saying there's going to be an amen to all things as you know. There's going to be a so be it moment to the world as you know it. And so your bucket list is to pray with perspective, to love without limits, and to give your gifts for God's glory. These aren't things to do before you die. They are things to do or else you're literally dying. They're, they're the essence of living as a Christ follower. To live as a Christian is to give your life to Christ. It's the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I can summarize all of the law in these actions that you give your life to God and to people. I... Um, I'll wrap up with this. Let's see, I've been on staff for 11 years, so about 11 years ago, 10 years ago, I'd just come on staff, and um, Todd, senior pastor here, 
pulled me aside and just said, hey, there's a man who died and he has two sons who are both young adults that, that survive him and uh, I'm gonna go meet with them because I'm gonna do his funeral. Would you like to go along? Like I didn't know Todd well at all and I'm like, oh, of course, man, any time with you, let's go. And so we get in his car and we're driving down the road and we're driving in the part of town, like the really nice part of town, uh, really nice part of Dallas if you're listening. And this is the part where there's like huge houses inside the city limits, but not just huge houses, huge houses on huge lots of lands, like estates. And, uh, and I'm like, wow, who is this guy? You know, when we pull up to this gate and the gate kind of opens slowly and we, we drive down this cobblestone uh, road and we, we get to this, you know, uh, we pull up to this, this house about seven or eight and I yell to the, no, we get to this house and... Um, this huge white house with these big pillars and, and the, the yard looks like the arboretum, like there's just flowers and manicured lawns and it's crazy and, and, and we go inside and on the wall, I'm not kidding, there's like Rembrandts and Monet's, these huge paintings, like just incredible paintings and, and I'm walking in and everything in the house is amazing and, and we sit down with these two sons in their, in their 20s and they're mourning, they just lost their father and, and we're talking to them and I noticed, you know, as, as we talk and we're sharing the gospel and we're having these conversations about their dad and, and their dad, they tell us, you know, he became a Christian late in his life and, and he became a devoted follower of Jesus kind of in his last days and, and I Notice that in the midst of all of the really nice paintings and large pieces of furniture, there were post-it notes, yellow post-it notes. I say, hey, let me ask you a question. What's, what's up with the post-it notes? And one of them said, oh, man, when dad, when dad found out he was dying, he just wanted to be surrounded with the word of God. He wanted uh, people to encourage him with the truths of God through the scriptures, to speak the words of God to him. And he asked us to put verses all over the house, these post-it notes, awesome. what else? Said, oh man, he just wanted to share Christ with everybody. Like in his last days, he would have us invite people over so he could share the gospel with them. And he would call his nurses in his room to share the gospel and his doctors. He would say, hey, let me just talk to you for a minute. And he would tell them about how they were uh, created by a God who loves them, separated from him by their sin, and that he had sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for their sins. He just was sharing the gospel with everybody he could. What else? What else? Well, dad... He was a really well-resourced man. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. And um, when he found out he was dying, he just wanted to give it all away. And in fact, he became really frustrated. He had asked us to call over attorneys because he had locked all of his money up in trust and had assigned a power of attorney to someone. And, and it took a lot of paperwork and, and processes to even liquidate his money and he just wanted to give it all away. He was frustrated that he couldn't do that. What else? What else? And they looked at each other and they laughed and they looked at us and they said, well, people thought he was crazy. Why? Why did they think he was crazy? Because he'd sit up in his bed and he'd tell us, he'd stare straight through us and he'd say, don't wait. Don't wait like I did. Don't you wait. Don't wait. And they didn't know what he was talking about, but we knew. See, in his last days, dad knew 
what it meant to live as a person following Jesus. He started to get the bucket list that Peter's talking about. You can learn a lot from a man who is sitting on his deathbed. What are you going to do with your life? You're going to waste it on you? What are you going to do with your life? Don't wait. Don't wait like he did. The end of all things is near. Let me pray. And Father, we, um, we thank you for this truth through your servant Peter. And for the reminder that you've given us. And Lord, we just ask that, you know, as we read these words, that, that not in a manipulative way or, or, or just a motivating way, that, that tomorrow we would wake up and we would, we would search the scriptures and wonder what you have for us and, and that we would take the, the activities that we're involved in and the things that we scheduled and Lord, the things that are not consistent with what you want us to do, we'd reprioritize. Would you help us reprioritize? Would you help us to pray with sober minds? Help us to love in ways that are uncomfortable and help us to share the gifts that you've entrusted to us for the common good of the brotherhood and sisterhood for Christians everywhere. Lord, we thank you for this text and would you, would you change us through it? In Jesus' name, amen.